Welcome to Bloom, the podcast where mums share their unfiltered birth experiences. We hope that by listening to their stories, you feel empowered and inspired wherever you are on your own journey. Welcome to Bloom. Colette had her first baby at 16, her second at 23 and her third at 38. Colette's three pregnancies and births were all very different, but had one thing in common. Her babies were positioned back to back, which led to long labours. Her first experience was positive thanks to a supportive network of family and friends, but was still characterised by naivety and judgement navigating a teenage pregnancy. For her second, she was better informed, but her epidural was only effective on one side, which led to a less effective pain relief. Now a qualified hypnobirthing teacher, For her third pregnancy, Colette was informed to advocate for herself and her desire for an unmedicated birth. She also experienced something called the fetal ejection reflex, when a baby is born with no pushing at all. Colette is living proof that the different stages of labour do not always correspond to the timings that we expect. In her words, the cervix is not a crystal ball. Hi Colette, it's lovely to have you here. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for for making yourself available for this chat. I'm really looking forward to hearing more about your story and I was thinking, you know, obviously every woman's story is unique but it must be very unique to say that you have had a pregnancy in your teens in your 20s and in your 30s so um yeah I'm really looking forward to it yes um all very different experiences as you can imagine so I want to just ask you um just to do a quick introduction to who you are so if you could please tell us uh, your name your age where you're from what you do in life and who's in your family so I'm Colette Myers. I live in Yorkshire, as you might be able to tell from my voice. Um, I am a mum to three boys, ages 24, 17 and a toddler too. And yeah, I remarried my toy boy <laughs> who I met nearly 10 years ago. Uh, we got married a few years ago and just it's been the best decision to have another baby and it's also brought me some back to something that I'm really passionate about which is birth so I'm now um qualified in hypnobirthing but my the classes that I offer are sort of way more than that it's sort of very focused on birth rights and advocacy amazing and so is that what you do full-time now yeah so I mean I'd love to do it full full full-time yeah. But yeah, it just I can't you kind of live and breathe it when you're a, a birth worker. You just it's just always part of you know, you just mm. you think about it constantly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm sure we'll talk more about it then as we hear about the differences between all three of your births and pregnancies. But um maybe if we could start just by talking a bit about your very first experience of becoming a mum, what were your other mum role models like at that time your image of motherhood growing up and 
aspirations of what you wanted motherhood to be like for you if if you did even well you know when I was 16 I'd not really thought much about it fair enough yeah (laughs) I'd not really thought whether I was gonna have a child or whether I wasn't going to have a child or what my future husband or what getting married would even be like at that age you know you sort of focused during school on well I say my GCSEs but I wasn't I was a bit of a social butterfly was what was listed in my report (laughs) I used to like school though I enjoyed it um but obviously it changed significantly Mm. when I found out I was expecting a baby yeah of course I was um I'd, I'd felt a little bit sick I was laid on the bed one morning on a weekend and I used to be up and off and out much to my friend's frustration you know nine o'clock in the morning hammering down the door we walk in somewhere (laughs) and my mum actually called me into the bathroom and she was in the bath and she said I think you might be pregnant wow mother's intuition (laughs) yeah and I said "Mm," and I had I had kind of pondered it but I think, yeah, when I when I talk about this, I think people are like, how, well, how would you not know? Because your periods would, you know, right. they would disappear and you wouldn't know. Well, they would do that anyway from sort of a very young age. So okay. they would sort of, because I was very slender at school mm-hmm. and they would just disappear for months on okay. end. So, yeah. And were you and your mum really close at that age? Very close. Yeah, really. Mum and I have always been close. She... Dad, dad's an army guy so we had to move around quite a bit when I was younger but sort of Weatherby and where I live now in Yorkshire is just like the place that I've always come back to but mm-hmm. we spent a lot of time together alone especially like you know when my mum lived in Belgium and Germany and that sort of thing so we have had that close relationship so I'd got this sort of funny ring that I'd come around my face it was like a dark sort of pigmentation thing and I just thought oh it's a teenage thing or yeah. I don't know I'm not I didn't quite know what it was but it's actually it turns out it was called the mask of pregnancy mm-hmm. um, and that's like a real thing where was it on your face so it was just like a ring right around the outline of my face it's just okay. a really dark ring mm-hmm. anyway so my mum got out the bath went up into the loft and opened up this book which I think was from the 80s I thought you were gonna say she got a pregnancy test out of the loft <laughs> from the 80s yeah didn't work <laughs> <laughs> so she went up in the loft got this book out it was yeah this woman sort of in one of those schmuck dresses like looking down at her baby and she was flicking uh-huh. through it and she found this mask of pregnancy and she went oh my goodness she went this is what you've wow. got and I said that is what I've got yes she came down from the loft and she said let let me just ask you a question and I said yeah and she said do you feel butterflies or anything in your tummy and I said oh I feel butterflies every day in my tummy she said that's the baby kicking Colette that's the baby kicking (laughs) so it was a bit of a surreal moment so did you know that you you could be pregnant yeah I'd been in a relationship but you know he Mm -hmm. he would stay at the house and I would stay at his house we'd actually broken up at the time that I'd thought that I'd found out I was pregnant but we were still in contact okay and I think with the the periods not coming back at all and then just sort of the odd thing of saying 
no, I don't, I'm off that meal or, you know, and I was sort of laid in bed yeah. that day. I think she was just, you know, putting all these things together and with the mask of pregnancy, she was just sort of totting them all up. Yeah. It's sort of a transitional age anyway, isn't it? Sort of the age of 16 when you're about to do your exams and leave school. And Yeah, of course. Were you scared? How did you feel when, do you, can you remember that, that moment where you first kind of entertained that it was a possibility do you know what I actually felt excited oh I didn't feel scared at all not even for a moment I didn't I didn't think oh my goodness how am I gonna how am I gonna do this or this is just gonna be ridiculous I think I was totally naive <laughs> what do you put that down to age do you reckon because it sounds like your mum was an incredible not everyone would feel that oh. relaxed around their parents in that scenario yeah absolutely and my dad's a different mm-hmm. matter you know I've always been very open with her about things even when she's not wanting yeah. to know um and I understand that now from from being a mum yeah. myself like my, my teenage son talks to me and I put my fingers in my ears and I'm like don't need to know that <laughs> <laughs> yeah I can well believe that um so yeah, we did the we did the obviously we did a pregnancy test just to make sure from boots and it was positive and then we booked in with the doctor. Mm-hmm. The doctor was like, you know, you twenty something weeks pregnant or whatever he said at the time and I was just like Did you have a bump? Do you know what? It's so funny because I had like a little sort of bloated tummy but I was so slender and the minute I found out I was pregnant and started telling people this bump just suddenly appeared like it was allowed to it was like it was allowed to now it was so funny that's the thing isn't it yeah I've actually heard there's a name for it like um pregnancy denial women can go like months and months and then at like yeah six seven eight months of pregnancy when your body accepts it then it makes the space for the baby it's a yeah it's a real thing that's funny isn't it yeah so that's that's exactly what happened and suddenly Mm. I wasn't able to fit in my school uniform and my mum had to Mm -hmm. I remember going to Marks and Spencer's and buying me some chenille jumpers and stretchy trousers and sitting in um sitting in school assembly and everyone else had to sit on the floor um but Mm -hmm. not me I had to sit with the teachers I stood out like a sore thumb, let me tell you that. Everyone else was yeah. in uniform on the floor and I was sat with my chenille jumper from Marks and Spencer's, sat with the teacher. Oh. Were people kind to you though at school? Because kids can be horrible, can't they? They can be really awful, yeah. And I did have a few sort of running run-ins with people. Mm-hmm. I was quite feisty when I was at school, so I could sort of, I could hold my own. Yeah. But I was, I was very lucky because I just had... A, lots and lots of friends I've always Mm -hmm. I've been I was an only child well I am an only child and obviously with having to move to different places when I was younger I was very good then at making just making friends having to make friends Mm. and yeah it was uh, I was very lucky because my friends were just very excited and I think it probably got on the teacher's nerves a bit when you know in English class and everyone sort of gathered around my table and she's like okay yes Colette's pregnant we all know can we just sit back in our <laughs> chairs and you know and people would bring in little gifts and things and then the teacher would send someone out to Morrison's to get me grapes because I had a craving and oh that's amazing the boys from my year took me out for a curry one evening into into our town Mm -hmm. and when we came back they said oh what's that up there and 
it was just a money box for sort of saving um for things for for my son and Aww. they all they all took like you know tenors and twenties and and fivers out of their um wallets and all just shoved it in this um money box and I thought god teenage boys can actually be quite sweet oh my goodness that's um <laughs> that is so touching yeah I find this lovely actually to reflect on because I feel like so many women that I've spoken to go through your whole life from the moment you've got your period being in fear of getting pregnant and then suddenly there's this mind shi- mindset shift that you actually it's something that you actively want but I think that fear is slightly projected onto us I mean that's an amazing story of actually like a great support network and you know teenagers just stepping up like that's really just lovely yeah it was and I was very lucky to have that yeah when it came to my mum telling my dad because he used to fly off the handle about every little thing so I thought my goodness well this is a big thing how is he going to cope with this anyway he was on a works do so my mum thought right well I'll tell him at this works do then he has to be calm (laughs) (laughs) so my friends sat in the living room A couple of friends were sat in the living room with me waiting for the phone call, you know, from my dad to say that my mum had told him. And the landline started ringing. And uh, so this was in 1998. Mm -hmm. And he goes, Colette, it's your father. I thought, oh, here we go. And he goes, your mum's told me. And I love you and we support you. And we're just here for you. And I was just like, phew. And then I went into the living room and told my friends. And it was like they were almost disappointed I didn't get a bulk in. (laughs) (laughs) They were like expecting some big drama, but there wasn't one. Yeah. And I didn't ask you, but I mean, you said you were excited. And by the time you got the date of how far along you were, you were almost, well, you were halfway through. So was it ever a conversation that you might not have the baby or was it just obvious? No, there wasn't. It just wasn't on my mind. I didn't even think Mm. about that really. I think it was just all sort of a bit of excitement. I don't know if I was fully aware of how difficult motherhood would be, especially like when your friends would all go off to college and, and, you know, that's that sort of group of friends who were there for you sort of during pregnancy would all go off and do their own you know get on with their own lives and in general it it can sometimes be an isolating time for mothers anyway and you can sort of lose yourself Mm. a little bit in motherhood and even now even though I've surrendered to motherhood completely you can still have days can't you where you feel just a bit isolated and a bit like I've only had a, a conversation with this with this little person. I've not actually spoke to another adult all day. Um, and I think sometimes it can feel a bit isolating, even though you feel sort of privileged at the same time. So yeah, I think it, I think that was the hard yeah. part for me. Mm. I don't regret any. Like if I could go back in a time machine, I would just do it exactly the same. Mm. And what was the care like I mean firstly it was kind of a different time like the kind of late 90s I've not spoken to many mums from that time about what birth was like but did you I guess did you have like did did you have a plan or were you just kind of going with the flow and and you use the word naive like would you say that was true all the way throughout and up to the birth so I didn't have any fear of birth I didn't even think 
there would be a point where I wouldn't be able to sort of just go in and do it and I suppose I didn't think about it hugely I remember when it was my last day of school and I got a big bouquet of flowers and um, a card and it was Mm. signed from from everybody in my year at school one of the comments in the card was I hope it doesn't hurt too much (laughs) you know I thought right probably a boy wasn't it It was a boy. It was a boy that I'd known since the age of like five or six or something. So, but yeah, I've had three back labors. So yeah, spine to spine. Yeah. Yeah. So it can be a little bit longer and it can be a bit more intense because a lot of, you can tell when you've, when you're having a back labor because you can feel a lot of the sensation Mm -hmm. in your back and rather than sort of a, a leading up to the contraction or sensation it kind of peaks quite quickly Mm -hmm. and stays quite strong so you can you can tell but I wasn't aware of what back labor was I'd been to an antenatal class but really all I can remember from that class is how to bath the baby (laughs) my mum had brought one of my dad's Budweiser t-shirts that I'd done a marathon in okay and I was like Okay, so, Mum, why have you brought this T-shirt? You know, I'm a teenager. Now I'm in a Budweiser T-shirt. I said, this is just going to look so bad. (laughs) (laughs) Was that to give birth then? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I was in and out of the hospital. The only advice you really got was go and have a lie down on the bed, go and have a lie down on the bed the whole time. And that's not really the advice that you get now. You know, it's it's nice to be able to rest if you can in those early stages, but sort of moving around, not wearing yourself out, but keeping active is, mm. is you know, one of the main things, isn't it, now, is to sort of yeah. stay active during labour. Do you remember, did you have any pain relief or were you, did you, did you ask for any and were you able to have any? I had lots of pain relief in that first birth. Yeah, I did. I had pethidine, which absolutely sent me, it doesn't, it doesn't even last long, but it completely like sends you on another planet. Loopy. <laughs> yeah. And then on the third day of labor, I had an epidural, which was actually okay. very, very effective. And it allowed me to get some rest after. Did you say the third day of labour? Yeah. Wow. But it come on. Had it come on naturally? Yes. Okay, but it was just really slow. Yeah, it's just it's just long. Like we all just have our own patterns to labour, and I often tell people now, like, you know, just prepare for like three or four days of labour. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then you set up for it then in your mind you can sort of you know prepare like mentally for it then yeah but yeah as I say like back labor can can be a bit of a surprise because you can you can sort of go on for a number of days and then suddenly that's that's it you want the baby to come and it's usually when they've emptied your bladder or you've emptied your bladder and you've been sat on the loo or something and you're like right I'm ready to go Mm -hmm. and that's what happens so my mum said you know Colette's bladder's not been emptied the midwife Mary who I actually went on to work with years and years later wonderful she was looking after me and she emptied my bladder and that was it I felt the urge to push and within 18 minutes he'd arrived despite having a very effective epidural so I was surprised that he arrived so quickly Mm. Yeah, I just remember looking at him and just thinking, I've never seen anything more beautiful in my whole life. And this is actually what love is. Oh, yeah. 
That's that's yeah, that sounds like a super positive experience to be honest. And kind yeah. of the best way that an epidural can go in a, in a way like if it managed to give you some rest and you were able to feel the urge to push and kind of be in control of that. Yeah, absolutely because obviously the the sort of risk of instrumental or surgery and that sort of thing goes up if you yeah. do if you do decide to have an epidural but I that wasn't where my mind was at at the time it was like I need some relief from this and I didn't have any other coping mechanisms so I hadn't I wasn't informed about any other comfort measures or how to manage it and I'd not prepared for my birth I think at that time as well I think it was like our birth's just something to get through to get this precious baby out but now we know that we can have a completely different experience and and enjoy Mm. it even what was the name of your first son Callum okay yeah Callum and he came out just ready to go on the breast Oh, what a trooper. <laughs> and he's 24 now. He's 24, yeah. He'll be 25 next month. Okay. He's a great big brother to yeah. his, his littlest his littlest brother. is, is um, I often joke saying he's sort of a bit like, you know, the film Kevin and Perry is a bit like, oh, like <laughs> this. But then when he comes to see Gabriel, he's just like his whole nature changes and he speaks really softly and he's just Whoa. very patient with him and not with the rest of us, but definitely with Gabriel. I was thinking when you were saying about their ages, that was a whole dimension I'd not even thought about, about your experience of having those pregnancies so spaced out. But it's lovely for you as a mum to have two children um, so far apart and to be able to watch them have a connection like that. That's so unique and so special. Yeah, absolutely. It's, It's so nice. Just, I didn't, I couldn't really sort of imagine what it was going to be like in my head, but yeah, it's he was um, he was brilliant. Mm. So um, fast forward a little bit. When did you, or did you, in fact, decide you'd like to have another baby? So oh uh, yeah, when I was twenty three, a little bit of a different time then. Mm-hmm. It was two thousand and five when I had. Joseph, Joey, as he likes to be referred, can't call him Joseph. <laughs> the pregnancy it wasn't sort of too difficult. I did have some pelvic pain towards the end, um, and I did feel a little bit sick. But yeah, it was it was a different time. But the advice for for birth had changed as well yeah. a little bit. So I was more active. I remember when I started with my contractions in the middle of the night Mm -hmm. and I'd gone out in the sort of very early hours of the morning and I was walking up and down the street listening to Disney I don't I don't even what I don't I couldn't even name like a Disney (laughs) film I don't know why I had this cd but I had this cd I was gonna say you couldn't have been using Spotify so what were you listening to it on (laughs) so I had this you know those great big cd cassettes so I had one of those and I was and I was listening and just trying to keep active and I remember this big hill in Weatherby and I was sort of walking up and down this big hill and then I went into a bakery they were like oh you must you must be you know due any day and I said well I'm in labor they went you can't be in labor I said yeah I am I am went to the hospital but then again it was it was back labor very intense I I was about five centimeters when I had when I got another epidural again I just I didn't mm. know what else to do and because I didn't want any drugs that took me away with the fairies again mm. I was like the only option is to have 
an epidural. Did did they in the scans spot that they the babies were back to back? And do you remember prepping for it in any way? Um, the second time round. No, unless you sort of unless you have like a scan for a re- you know for a medical right. reason or something sort of later on in the pregnancies you just you have like your, your 20 week scan don't you and then you have another appointment sort of a little bit later down the way mm. no one had really explained it it's something that I had to kind of learn for myself and then the midwives it was just like oh mm-hmm. it's the, this sensation again in my back yeah so I had the epidural fitted at five centimeters and yeah, it it was only effective down one side this time. Okay. So it, it didn't it didn't work as well as it as it did with my first son. So I wasn't And did they talk about trying to to do it again so that it, it worked on the other side? So they came and kept topping it up, but one side just kept getting number. <laughs> oh wow. I've always wondered what that feels like when an epidural doesn't when it goes kind of one-sided because obviously it's very you've got parts of your body that are very obviously like your left and your right but your uterus is like a, a very abstract place and so is it something tangible or is it just like a kind of muted this is as an as effective pain relief as I remember no it, it was a very strange sensation it was very strange like to just have one half of your body completely numb and then to feel such strong mm. sensations in the other part of your body was just yeah it was just like I think I just wanted the baby to be born I was like because I couldn't really rest properly but then I wasn't you know I wasn't in huge huge amounts of discomfort but I just felt like yeah I'm ready I was full of cold as well so I was just like really tired oh so yeah, it was um it it wasn't as effective, but again, like everything was relatively straightforward. So when it came to pushing uh eight minutes, I think it was, eight or nine minutes for him to come. So again, even with the epidural, I was I was pretty lucky to and again it was after I'd had my bladder emptied. Wow. <laughs> that empty bladder. How long was the labour leading up to the pushing? Was it quicker than the first time? That was it. It was a 23-hour labour. Okay, still quite long for um, for a second baby. With back-to-back positioning, can it make the labour longer as well? Yeah, makes the labour longer. Okay. Um, and that's why, you know, when people talk about sort of the different stages of labour, mm-hmm. you know, some people will say that it's completely made up because we obviously can't categorise a woman's body because if there is you know, a variation of normal yeah. um, position, you know, it can, I, I, I think it definitely impacts on, on how long that labor is. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm, you know, sort of living proof of, of that. And then it can all just happen very quickly. So I think because we focus so much as well on what the cervix is doing, which is only just such a small part right. of labor, you know, the purpose of, labor is to build the fundus the top of the uterus ready to push the baby down so even if the midwife doesn't think your contractions are effective or they're not very regular you know they're a bit irregular which can happen again with back labor mm-hmm. um all of a sudden you can just go so that's what happens mm. the cervix is not a crystal ball <laughs> <laughs> i love that <laughs> 
Um, and so how did it feel holding baby number two in your arms? Was it just as joyful? I felt really tired actually this time. Like I still had that sort of like, oh my goodness, look, look, there's a human mm. that's just come out of me. But I was really tired. I was really, really tired. I think because I'd had the epidural drug, but still not mm. being able to rest, it did sort of make a difference um, because I was full of cold. But I was allowed to go mm-hmm. home very quickly. So I think I went home in less than 12 hours of, of having Joey, but found feeding wow. very difficult. Um, I fed for five, I fed for five months, but it was painful every every single time. I think he had mm. undiagnosed tongue tie because he went on to have a lot of speech problems, which we took him to a speech therapist okay. and and corrected them, and he did amazing with that. Oh. So that's a shame. I think I remember my health visitor coming round like three or four days mm-hmm. after Joey was born, and asking if I was in any sort of a routine. Right helpful (laughs) and I was like no yeah and she didn't really offer any support with my feeding and you know I was making her a cup of tea when she was while she was sat cuddling my baby and it's just like that is a big no-no I didn't really get I did I just don't think we were very like it just depends isn't it like some people are so Mm. supportive of your feeding journey and other people aren't as aren't as good at supporting you and I definitely needed a bit more support and it does seem like a very difficult thing to diagnose even now um I feel like I've heard lots of mums talk about like asking proactively the the specialists to look for that when they're struggling with feeding and not always getting an answer until several different people down the line so I don't know why it's so difficult to diagnose but it certainly feels like a problem yeah, not everybody has has the training on it and you really need like right. the training to to do it so you can assess it properly because like if it's sometimes you can just tell from looking in a baby's mouth that they've got tongue tie immediately straight away. Other time it's like posterior tongue tie mm-hmm. and it's harder, but once you know what you're looking at and once somebody shows you, then it's a lot easier, but just people just don't have that training and a lot of GPs don't have that training. Mm, okay and how did you find being a mum of two kids did they get on well I think Callum definitely loved making Joseph scream and he still loves winding him up now you know when we're all together (laughs) when we're all together they just love play fighting but Joey's getting very strong because he's been going to the gym and stuff so Callum Mm -hmm. I think needs to just watch out when he's play fighting with but yeah, I don't think that'll ever change. I think yeah. we'll still be winding each other up and, and what have you. But now it's just, you know, like Callum will pick Joey up and they'll go off to football or they'll go and watch it somewhere. And I just, yeah, I think that's really nice. Mm. Even though there's like an age gap between them, it's just, it's nice. Yeah. Um, okay, so you said you met your toy boy in your words, not mine, um, when 10 years before you had your third so that would make about five years after Joseph was born is that right am I is my maths about right I think it must have been around then he was very he was very young when when Charles and I met yeah because he we Charles and I have been together this year for 10 years and what was the what were the conversations like between the two of you about having a baby when how early did it start 
I wasn't going to have another baby. I was like, I mean, firstly, when Charles and I met, he was only 24 Mm -hmm. and I had to quickly do the maths to make sure that there was a bigger age gap between Charles and I than there was between Callum and Charles. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Quickly let me, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, and Charles was very, he was still like going out clubbing, had a, you know, he was at law school at the time. He just had a completely different, Mm -hmm. you know, life to me and obviously, he found he did struggle coming into a relationship with someone with two children, not because the children were hard or he had to do anything, just he just couldn't get his head around it. Mm. Like I think he just expected to meet someone who was footloose and fancy free, fall in love, get married and have a child. Mm. But obviously I'd had like a whole life before yeah. meeting Charles. And I always said that I wouldn't have I wouldn't have another baby I just said like you know my I've done it twice and I said and it was a long time you know it was I've I've done it now and I can't I can't imagine starting again Mm -hmm. and then obviously you fall in love and you start imagining your life together and I think Charles is the only one that I'd written in his yearbook like you know when you write in a yearbook what you going to be doing when you leave school and everyone's like oh I'm going to be a banker or a doctor or a lawyer and he was like I'm going to be married with a family and so it was obviously from a very young age on his mind oh so sweet yeah and it just the way he looked at babies and the way that he was Mm -hmm. um because even though he's a lad's lad he's got like a very gentle side to him a very sort of family oriented side and he he comes from a big family himself So, yeah, who who and his family all love babies as well. So, and Charles is Jewish, so comes from a big Jewish family. And I actually ended up converting to Judaism. Mm -hmm. I didn't tell him when I was thinking about it. I thought a lot about it and kept it to myself for a while and then said, you know, I'm thinking about converting. And he was just, like, taken back. Mm. So I did two years of study. And then had to go to a rabbinical court in London and you get like a panel of rabbis. Like, Wow. Yeah, it's very daunting. I had to like learn to speak Hebrew. So like Hebrew and a Yorkshire accent sounded, yeah. <laughs> I think I want to hear that. Can we have a little excerpt? <laughs> Do you know what? I, even if I got one of the blessings out, I don't even know if I'd be able to... Um, to read it now it's yeah it's Yorkshire it's Hebrew in Yorkshire <laughs> it sounds lovely sounds a little bit Welsh to me to the untrained ear <laughs> yeah um so yeah and I need to polish up on my reading again actually mm-hmm it's not like Sex and the City, by the way, where she like converts, Charlotte converts in like five minutes. It's like a long process. It was yeah. two years of, of study and you have to take it very mm-hmm. seriously and in, start, you know, start incorporating it into your life. And I converted reform, which is very progressive. And that's the way that I like things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so converted, we got engaged, we got married, and then we actually conceived on our honeymoon, but I had a miscarriage. Okay. And it was very traumatic. The experience mm. was very traumatic, made more traumatic just by people not listening to me in the hospital. Okay. And even though the actual event, you know, was very sad 
and it was just made worse by by not being heard basically mm. when I when I got readmitted afterwards with with sort of low iron stores and things and it and people kept asking me it was in it was within 48 hours of having a miscarriage and people kept asking me why I was upset and I was like I've just had a miscarriage wow yeah I'm sorry that happened that sounds horrible thank you yeah it was just not great but I did give the hospital feedback and then I got written about in a book for people to read about and learn from so um yes I'm hoping you know some members of staff were able to put some positive changes in place Mm. I wasn't very well like sort of physically or mentally after that for about six months and I said to my husband I really need some time I don't want to try again Mm -hmm. for another baby until around six months and I remember going for Mm. reflexology which was amazing with this woman who I can just I can only describe her as like an earth angel Mm. she's just such a gorgeous human and she just gave me this reflexology I started feeling better mentally physically how does it work? What what does it look like as a procedure? So they press like different parts of your foot, which are connected to different parts of your body. And so it can be quite relaxing as well, even though sometimes they can feel something and they're like, can you feel that? And I'm like, no. And they're like, does that hurt? And I'm like, no. And then she'll go, does this? And literally press it with a thumb. And I'll be like, oh, yeah. And she's like, yeah, that's this. Mm. Just like how how have you yeah it's amazing after each session was just well rested was able to poop again because nobody tells you about that after you've had a miscarriage that you can be constipated and I've never heard that I think even after even after labor and things you know you can can have problems can't you with your bowels so it's best to be have some tips and yeah and stuff to help with that so yeah my body just seemed to be working again so I said to my husband, I'm ready to try again for a baby. I think I'm in the right headspace now. And this was after about six months. So we tried and fortunately I was pregnant again. So it was a really sort of conscious yeah. conception. And I just felt very, very sick. I had a lot of pregnancy <laughs> symptoms. Uh-huh. More so with this one. Okay. Yeah, very much so. You know, I just remember like going to the hospital, like with the window, I was like winding the window down, had my head out the window, like on the way to work. And I think it lasted around sort of four months. Mm-hmm. But my pelvic pain started from around 10 weeks. So. Oh, wow. When did you start your prep? You mentioned obviously this third pregnancy was really different and you prepared really differently. So when did that whole thing come into play? So I actually, from like finding out I was pregnant, I started just watching loads of positive birth videos. Just, I mean, I just love watching them. It makes me so broody now though, but I'm just like, no. (laughs) And I just love listening to people's birth stories. So yeah, I just started following loads of accounts and my friend Charlene, who's Mm. the hypnobirthing hub on Instagram, she lives in Ireland and she, I worked with her and we got really close and she went back to Ireland and we've kept in contact. Mm. She sent me this book and we had a really long chat on the phone. Okay. And I think because I'd had a miscarriage, your anxiety Mm. naturally is just more... Acute. You are more anxious after a loss, like you... I needed to sort of gain some confidence back in myself 
hypnobirthing I think people think you're going to be hypnotized but you're not it's all self-hypnosis and we're in sort of natural states of hypnosis all the time Mm. you know like I think a common one's like you know like if you've driven a familiar journey Mm. and you arrive at your destination you're like how have I got here yeah sometimes that's just like a natural state of hypnosis and then I went on a course just before it was like the last one before lockdown okay. started. So we went, we managed to get on this hypnobirthing course at the hospital okay. with a midwife that I knew and she, you know, did loads of relaxations. And then lockdown came, I finished work early and spent the next sort of two and a half months like doing my relaxations, hobbling around with my crutches. What were the crutches for? My pelvic pain. Wow. Yeah, it got really bad, especially being at work when I was shoved into this little chair because every time I got up from the little chair then, it made it so much worse. So mm. being off work actually helped. But yeah, it didn't it didn't impact labor at all though because I was worried about okay. not being able to get into like different positions because I had to sleep sitting up for 4 months. <gasps> Gosh, that sounds like torture. With the reflux and the pelvic pain. Yeah, it was. And I was so desperate for the baby to come. I was just like, baby can come anytime because actually this pelvic pain is just a real slog. And I just had like loads of like fluid retention, like my my little ankles, well, they weren't (laughs) little. I was so ready. Mm -hmm. And I went to 42 weeks as well. So I was even more ready. I was just like, I I mean, I was huge. Uh I was, I was huge. And did you know this time about it being back to back? And were you more informed on that specific thing? This time I was armed with loads of knowledge and I'd obviously built up like a really positive mindset. Mm -hmm. And even just like breathing, just uh, I literally did my in for four through my nose and then out for more through my mouth the whole way through. Mm. Yeah, I ended up on day four, I had a codeine and some gas and air, but that's it. So I felt everything and it was just amazing. It was intense uh, and I'd never experienced transition before, you know, where you sort of lose your shit. (laughs) Oh my goodness, like what's happening to me? I'd gone from being really, really quiet to going on the loo, which is an amazing tool for labor. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the the best, the dilation station. (laughs) Yeah, I started mooing like a cow. Mm. It can be like so animalistic, can't it, in that part and so wild. And that's why it's really important for your midwife not to sort of guide you into a position, but for your body to be led into that position. Mm. But yeah, before that point, I was getting a lot of stick from the consultants and the doctors because they wanted me to be medically induced. Not because the baby was unwell or I was in unwell, just because I'd gone over that guest date. Because so you said 42 weeks, so is that two weeks over your due date? Yeah, so my estimated due date, and you know, we own, we know that like four percent of babies arrive on their estimated due date, and a natural mm-hmm. sort of length of pregnancy goes to forty-two weeks, and then you're classed as going sort of inverted commas overdue. Yeah, how did Charles feel about it? Because I think it's one thing if you've got your really strong convictions, but for the man, when it's not their body, when it's not something that they've perhaps spent so much time thinking about. Was he happy to just trust your convictions or was he a bit unsettled by what they were saying? No, he was really happy to trust. 
Yeah. Which is surprising because when he worked as a solicitor, he did a bit of clinical negligence. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, he's only sort of ever heard about there's been like a, a medical event and that sort of thing. So I thought he would have been a bit more like, well, do you not want to try? But he just said he had like complete trust in me and all the research that I'd done and the confidence I had in my body. And he was actually quite angry with one of the consultants because of the way that I'd been spoken to. Mm. I mean, I was lucky to have one of my midwife friends there at the time and she and she and I sort of, you know, gave her a bit of a, a word back, which I think sometimes they need because you're the authority of your pregnancy and, and labour and postpartum yeah. experience. And I think sometimes I just need reminding of that. Yeah. Were you in the hospital for the whole of the lead up? You, you just said on day four. Day four. Yeah. So day four, I had a codeine tablet. Oh, and yeah. that was when I was at the hospital. So I'd done a lot of the work at home. Okay. So did you go into the hospital on day four of labour? In the middle of the night, yeah. We were driving down the country roads from Weatherby to Harrogate. And obviously it was in the middle of the night. And because there was no other cars on the road, there was just deer, wild deer just running all. It was like something from a fantasy because the it was the weekend of the strawberry moon. Mm-hmm. So the whole moon was just lighting up the sky and it just looked incredible. Amazing. I was just like, <laughs> you know, with the oxytocin flowing, I was just like, oh my goodness, look at this. <laughs> but yeah, it was another sort of 12 hours when I got to the hospital very intense very intense labor but things can be both challenging and good at the same time can't they yeah 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 like and that's exactly how I found it but I was so thankful that I'd prepared this time Mm -hmm. so without the epidural what what changed you mentioned even with the epidural that you were able to feel the urge to push but was it different without it Yeah, so there was no pushing. So I actually went really quickly again. So very, very long, intense labor. And then went and sat on the toilet, started mooing like a cow. Charles went and got the midwife and said, it's uh, it's all kicking off in there. (laughs) (laughs) And this is the point, like, when your baby's about to arrive, this is the point where birth partners are like, you're going to meet your baby really soon. You're safe. Your body's safe. Like... Because you just, basically what happens is you have like a huge surge of adrenaline during this stage and you want to either leave or have drugs. And I was like, someone give me the diamorphine. And then I was like, hold on a minute. In my head, I was like, no, the baby's going to come. The baby's going to come. So you were able to kind of come out of yourself and say, okay. Yeah, yeah. So they were like, do you want to go on the bed on all fours? And I kind of got on the bed and then was like, no, no. Got off the bed grabbed Charles by the neck and with my other hand just instinctively just put it down and felt the baby's head come down and he came flying out so I'd just experienced something called the fetal ejection reflex which is where there's no pushing and your body just takes over and just ejects the baby from your body did you was that a goal that you'd had going into it or I heard people saying oh yeah there wasn't any pushing I thought that's the only part I couldn't get my head around. I was like, wasn't any pushing. How can you not push a baby out? When I experienced the fetal ejection, I was just like, it was just not of this world. Mm. It honestly just felt like the most powerful experience. It And it, I think it rarely happens in hospital birth. 
but I think if you're my midwives are very respectful of my birth plan Mm -hmm. and they kept out of the room and kept me in my sort of oxytocin bubble was it in your birth plan that you wanted to try and not push no I just said let my body you know guide me I'll you know it's just Mm -hmm. you need to find the position that's right for you as well you just have to really it's so animalistic and so wild I think you just have to be Mm -hmm. guided by what what your body's doing so that was all written in my birth plan and I think they'd known that I'd had a couple of sort of really negative meetings with the doctors as well Mm, because I think if I was listening to this I I mean Pushing for a lot of people, I think, is the bit they're most scared of. So I'd be like, what can I do to experience this? But it sounds as though you weren't really aiming for it. And in fact, you never had the urge to push. It just that came before any urges to push. So it's was is it just a product of the the right environment, do you think? Yeah, so undisturbed birth, being completely relaxed. So having all those having the breathing, having your relaxations Mm. or your music, having the lights down low, really focusing on oxytocin and and also like melatonin, which doesn't like bright lights and screens. Yeah. And oxytocin is a very shy hormone, so it doesn't like lots of strangers and lights. and Mm. And so your baby flies out and how's he doing? And Charles Charles is like... (laughs) It's a boy, it's a boy. Sobbing, sobbing, and doesn't stop sobbing for about two weeks. Oh, bless him. He's just so overwhelmed by this person. He just said, you know, you just look at this person and you just think, I can't actually believe how much love I've got for this person that I've never met before. And Mm -hmm. I've just set eyes on him and he's just the most incredible thing. And I just because he was eight pounds ten and he had like really big shoulders I just just kept thinking you've got such big shoulders and your bottoms are so gorgeous I just kept like tapping him tapping his bum and yeah it was just honestly I was on an oxytocin high after that birth for months also like preparing to breastfeed um this is the longest time as well because I'm still feeding him and he's is two two years and seven months Mm -hmm. now And, you know, it's like 90% determination, really prepared for it, no matter what, because Mm -hmm. we did have a lot of feeding challenges. So we had like reflux, he had posterior tongue tie, I was highly sleep deprived, he was waking every hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it was a lot, but because I'd prepared and because I had a lot of knowledge, I was like, right, taking him privately to get the tongue tie done because the doctor's not listening, so that sorted that osteopath for the reflux yeah that was amazing yeah and Charles was like cooking all my meals and feeding me which is what every new mother wants I just want Mm -hmm. to be fed with nutritious meals I'm like a Jewish dad (laughs) yeah it's like the one thing isn't it that that you want is just like you just want food food and sleep yeah especially if you're breastfeeding (laughs) yeah yeah so it's uh it's just it just it, ma- it really did make a difference, like preparing. Like a lot mm. of people will say, oh, don't bother with a with a birth plan because, um, you know, birth rel- rarely ever goes to plan. I mean, 
it, it is more predictable than than people make out. I think because people are offered interventions and the doctor's like, this is right for you and your baby. And sometimes it's not evidence-based. You're like, all right, I'll have that. And that sort of leads to a cascade of interventions. Sometimes it might be the right yeah. decision. I'm not, you know, it depends on the circumstances, but they do sort of medicalize it. But with a birth plan, it's not like a step-by-step guide to what's going to happen because you don't know. Mm. Like you don't know what position you're going to birth in. Like the NHS on their birth plan ask what position you want to be in to birth. And it's like, well, you don't know because your body takes over. Right. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So it's like you can't put, oh, well, I want to be, you know, on the mat on the floor or what have you because you just you just don't mm. know. Like, because my consultant said to me who who wanted me to have a, a medical induction or, you know, you, you won't give birth naturally and you, you just take all the drugs because you don't get a medal for not mm-hmm. having all the drugs. And I was like, I just think, yeah, well, I don't really want a medal because what yeah. I've got and what I've had and the experience that I've now experienced this third time around. Yeah. So I think I've got one final question for you. You who has obviously so much knowledge and you know you've kind of been on this long very fruitful journey through your three pregnancies if someone was interested in learning more about hypnobirthing of all of the resources you know if they wanted to just delve into something what would you point them watching positive birth videos watching because what what happens is when you know we grow up and we watch like film and tv and it's always like dramatized birth it's never like because it's not entertaining to just show a nice you know wild birth at home or somebody who's enjoyed it like it seems to be more accepted that birth's traumatic than pleasurable whereas it's not it can be a very pleasurable and challenging intense experience but it can be pleasurable so just watching positive birth videos finding accounts and watching positive birth videos but also knowing how to advocate for yourself and actually receiving evidence-based information knowing how to talk with your healthcare providers because a lot of the times we just think that they know best whereas a lot of doctors are able thank goodness you know are are on hand for when the path to birth changes and nature needs a hand I'm so thankful for them but a lot of them haven't seen or been involved with a physiological birth so surround yourself with women who love birth and speak to them and if you want to breastfeed surround yourself with women who have breastfed for you know a long time despite having the challenges you know, because the note, they'll be able to help you through those challenges. Amazing. And the Midwives Cauldron podcast. <laughs> it's like everybody, everybody that I speak to, I'm just like, listen to the Midwives <laughs> Cauldron because, yeah, it's incredible. And and um, reading Dr. Rachel Reed's stuff, I took her childbirth physiology course and it's just, there's some real golden nuggets in there. It's just like... Dr. Rachel Reed, did you say? Yeah, yeah. You think you know about birth and then you'll do one of her courses and you're just like, oh my goodness, Mm. this is incredible. Like, yeah. yeah. Okay, amazing. Well, thank you so much. That was was a lovely chat. (laughs) Thanks for having me. That's the end of this episode. Take care and see you next time.